0: Hello, welcome to the champion. I'm Tony Champrey of Now And I'm the Middle Golda No, I don't care. I don't care. I'm
1: very excited today. Won't you take me to Bunk it down. Won't you take me to Bunk it down. Won't you take
0: me to Bunk it down. What's your apple? What's your apple? Because you
1: know who's going to be on the show, Brian! Oh, yeah. so yes! Yes, Brian, Brian
0: Cannon! Brian Cannon! And the from Pseudo Echo! <laughs> yes! What
1: other songs they have? Oh, he's got lots!
0: Lots and lots! Oh, I'm not telling yet! Don't go! No. Love and Adventure! Love and Adventure! Yeah, Love with Me! Yeah, That's but my favourite Pseudo uh, Echo song is uh, Over Tomorrow, but anyway. Over Tomorrow, yeah, it's never mind. That's a great song. Anyway, anyway. I, it's like the Rocky theme for Hurry me. up! Put, no, I, I want to get him on! Stop just and on! So, further, no more to do. After the break, we got. Brian Cannum Hello, welcome to Shumpcast and welcome else our special guest, Brian Cannum. Why do are you? Hey, how you, are you going, <laughs> Tony Tony Shumpnard. No, and I'm Dominic Antonio Zobada. Hey, all right. Brian Cannon, how are you, mate?
2: I'm good, thanks, guys.
0: Now, the first thing I want to ask you...
2: Ooh, the first question. Uh,
0: the, the first question I'd like to ask you, are you excited to be on Shumpcast?
2: I'm excited. I, I heard Tony Featherston for the Bad Lucks the other day. I had a listen to that. Oh, oh,
0: he's a great bloke, Tony Featherston. Yeah, good <laughs> a very nice guy. Yeah, so speaks highly of you. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah I'm glad he does.
0: Yes, <laughs>
1: yes. Brian. You know, every show we've had, or probably the majority of them, everyone brings up that. will do take me bunk it down, oh, yeah, everyone,
0: even we're the one about, with, yeah, yeah, yeah Frankston and whatever, yeah. everybody brings yeah. it up. We'll, we'll talk about that yeah, later. Frank. But uh, now just, uh, I mean, I know the obvious question, how the band started, because everyone likes to know how it all started sort of thing. So You and that, Pierre. Yeah, you and Pierre, Pierre. You met at the school there, was a Bundura College or something? Yeah, that's what it's called now. It used to be called Greenwood High
2: School back in the ah, day.
0: Ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and
2: um, f- funny thing with Pierre... Uh, Pierre, well, he went under the name of Piero when he was a kid at school, and um, I was probably a half-skip, so I sort of shortened it and made it a bit more Aussie-sounding as Pierre. Yeah. Not very Aussie, really. But um, So I, I used to see Pierre around. I, used to, I didn't really know him that well. I just knew him to say hi to. And one day, he was sort of involved in more the sports side of things, with the, with the sports yeah. group, and I was um, always known as a muso. Mm-hmm. And one so day he was a jock
1: and you were a nerd?
2: That's it. And yeah. <laughs> one, one day... <laughs> <laughs> or the other one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was carrying a bass case one day. Like a, I could see he had a Fender case in his hand. He was uh, oh. just walking along and I, and I went over to him and I said, what, what's in the case here? And he said, oh, it's a bass. Um, it's my cousin's. But he sort of you know, gave it to me on a permanent loan. And I said, give us a look at it. And there was this beautiful, um, you know, um, Fender Precision Bass. And I said, um, can you play it? And he said, well, I'm learning. And I said, do you want to be in my band? And he said, Sure. So uh, <laughs> that was it. Was that's
0: how the band. <laughs> Well, that's how Big Jagger and um, uh, Keith, Keith Bridges Richard, met. Yeah. They met. They yeah. met at a train station, but they knew were saw sort of each other from neighbourhood. And Big Jagger, they had these blues albums, and he just um, uh, Keith Bridges loved these blues albums. I mean, that's how that's Ooh. how they got together. So there you go. That's anyway,
1: Brian, what what bands inspired you? Like, um, you know, like, did you just come out and say, oh, I, I want to be like
2: Simple Mind? Well, who Who, who, who did yeah, you look up to? I think I have incredibly uh, broad influences, really, because I have four older brothers, and my dad was a bit of a jazz music, and, mm, and jazz. my mum mum was definitely a hipster, and they they influenced me a lot with their record collection, and so I it was so vast, mm. but I think from probably from early memories, would have been Beatles. Um, Beatles. And, and then uh, I, I went through all the, you know, your Peter Framptons, yeah. your uh, oh, yeah, Deep yeah. Purple, Zeppelin, oh, wow. all the rock stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then as that moved on, I, I, I loved this band called Sticks in America, though, American oh, stadium. Band. Oh, that girl,
1: she was beautiful. Yeah,
2: I yeah, Love, loved yeah. And then I went on, and then as things changed, and we we're heading towards the 80s, I started getting into all these, this sort of what was called the new wave. Yeah. and you know things like The, the Flowers who became Ice House locally yeah. you know mm. and um, probably My and bands like that locally and then right. on the big scale on the on the international scale it would have been bands like said, Simple Minds and yeah. Ultravox Kraftwerk wow. Duran Duran Spandau Ballet Japan, all that Japan. Stuff. Japan yeah exactly yeah. Japan were massive imports when I started out yeah. with, with Pseudos so so when I when I started the band thing um, I guess my influence just changed and I, I remember thinking that I needed something different because there was about a thousand bands in just my neighbourhood alone, and they all just sounded like kind of your classic Aussie pub rock. Yeah, and it was a hard competition to sort of stand out. So I just knew that there was I had to get something different, something, yeah. You no, know, and and that, and that basically was keyboards and electronics. So once I got into that, that's when I got into those bands.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so what was the band called uh, before pseudo Echo? It was called uh, Oz Ozra light is it?
2: Uh, Osrolite, and then we shortened it to the Lights with the new mo- we, new wave moment, movement rather. You know that sort of everyone was calling themselves the something. Yeah. So oh. we uh, we shortened it, and then from the Lights really was pseudo Echo. Th- momentarily, there was Secret Agents, and uh, but yeah, pretty much it just went from that state to pseudo Echo, and that was kind of. Um, Something almost was by default because I oh, yeah. I, I, I lost the drummer and I lost a, it was very hard to keep a band together. What, what do you mean you lost
1: four? them? Where
2: did you lose them? <laughs> yeah, we lost them to the footy club. it yeah. to, oh, you know, yeah. the, to the nine to five or whatever it was. But they, you know, you'd, you'd be rehearsing your band up and you'd be ready to gig and then somebody's quit. So it was yeah. really hard to keep them together. Yeah. So when Pierre was always very loyal and always st- stuck by me, and um, hmm. we just needed another member, you know, we needed yeah. either a drummer or a keyboard player or something, yeah. one more guy to make a three-piece at least. Yeah. And uh, we, just, we met Tony and our original keyboard player, purely by default as well. You know, somebody just another member was in the band, he quit the band, he said, look, I'll get a replacement for you. And uh, he hooked up Tony with us, and then we, we didn't ever have a drummer in those days, we just had a drum machine. So it was yeah. just two keyboards, a drum machine, and myself playing guitar and singing. And, um... That's when we, we named it Effect. Echo.
1: Well, you don't really
2: need a drummer. I mean, they're overrated. <laughs> just dead, man, and it was yeah. the funniest um, vibe without a drummer because, you know, you, you, there's all this sound coming out, you know, yeah. cause you can hear the drums on the, on the yeah. rhythm machine. And, um, you know, but there's just absolutely no energy on the stage. It was just dead as a doornail. So after about probably maybe six months of gigging um, yeah. like that, we decided we'd get a drummer. No,
0: oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now the, the band name um, Pseudo Echo came from a um, uh, a super manual.
2: Yeah. 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 Exactly. So in yeah. the days when you, you you couldn't just turn them on and push buttons and the sound came out, back in the days where you had to program the sound, there was a lot you know a lot of buttons and sliders and things like this, and you had to learn all the controls and where everything went before you could make any sound. Um, so they would come with a manual that sort of gave you some examples of sounds and you know like a like a roadmap of how to set yeah. the controls. And one mm. of the sounds was called pseudo echo machine yeah wow. and, and, Mate. and uh, tony was reading the manual on, on you know getting sounds out of it while we were discussing band names and he just said um, look at this sound pseudo echo machine and we all just said hey oh, that's a great name he's a good hey guy. brian
1: he, you know you know he, he'd been busting to ask you that question because <laughs> <laughs> we both got it written down <laughs> about the classic analog keyboard it's a great song wait 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 I will, I will ask you know what i mean like he's a
2: yeah, little yeah, kid yeah yeah and our uh, 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 Odyssey called the keyboard. Ah, because it's be a classic, classic synthesizer
0: to this day. So that keyboard now would be worth a lot of money there, Brian? If, uh, but yeah, the
2: big, big dollars. They make a software version of it, and they make a reproduction oh, version of it, a hardware okay. version. But yeah, the originals are very
0: valuable. Hey, where was your first
1: gig? First gig with Pseudo Echo? With Pseudo Echo? Oh, what? Did you, what about the first gig ever? Well, boy
2: my first gig ever, I think, was in um, the classroom at school at lunchtime. Yeah. I, I uh, managed to... Convinced the teacher into getting me out of a bit of, uh, you know, social studies and English and stuff like that. And and, um, scammed them into letting me do a gig. But the only thing is, is we couldn't really actually play any instruments. So we we had a few guitars and one of my mates had a little drum kit. And uh, we just thought, well, hang on, we can't play. We don't know how to play. But we we were so keen to do a gig. uh, We've got a record player. And then we played, I think we played a bit of Slade, the English band. What, you just just
1: sang over the top?
2: We second! Over the
1: top of that, that was our first gig. We charged ten cents to get in. Well, where was
2: your first gig with um, Pseudo Echo? First gig with Pseudo Echo. Wow! Jump Club you or Macy's? I you think I would remember? It might have been one of those. Jump there Club Macy's? Pounds, I think it was uh, Macy's. Macy's. Was. Yeah, and then we alternated. We used to play Macy's every month on a Thursday or something, and then the other one on a, on a Friday every month, and we just alternate back and forth.
1: And and where where did you feel? Um, where did you feel the most scaredest? Because you guys used to have, like, bouncers or something, maybe one or two bouncers with about 400 girls, yeah? And they'd all try yeah. and rip the clothes
2: off? <laughs> That's right. So, so where did you feel the safest? Well, I, I can tell you this. I couldn't walk anywhere near a high school or anything like that. Ah! Yeah. So I, I used to have to navigate my way around when when we sort of hit a, hit a certain level of, um, of saying... So uh, it was a bit scary. We did do one gig though, just just prior to Pseudo Echo. Yeah. Um, and it was um, we were still still in high school, and um, we managed to do an inter school gig, which was sort of unheard of. It was like we said, look, we'll, we'll play a gig at Thomas Town High, and we went to Greenwood High. So yeah. <laughs> that made you feel like stars, you know, because yeah, you yeah. were kind sort of like an international act, like. <laughs> and um, we so we went to this uh, Thomastown High, and. Um, we did get chased around by the local school uh, schoolgirls at yeah. school, yeah, yeah. but we thought that was fantastic, so we said, yeah, this is a good job for us. Was it the makeup
1: or the shoulder pads? What, what used yeah. to drive a man?
2: I reckon a combo of both.
1: Hey. Uh, who, yeah. who started that? Did you start that?
2: or? Well, we were we were big on that scene with all those, uh, you know, like I said, Duran Duran and yeah. Banga Ballet, and all those bands were wearing all this face makeup and yeah, sure know, it was, it was yeah. off, off the back of bands like kids, of course, yeah, you when know, yeah, I was getting yeah. more theatrical. Yeah. So the funny thing is we were sort of well-known in the industry over the years. It was a bit of a running joke, that Sudo Echo had a, had a makeup artist before we had a sound guy.
3: Oh. And, um, oh.
2: So one of, the, one of the guys I used to work with, he's, he's, his partner was a uh, a model
0: and she also did makeup. Okay. And uh, so, you know, he said, why, why don't you get her to, to do your makeup on stage? So we did. And she, she, gets, she got us looking real smick, so it was great. Uh, now, uh, Brian, um, you've, your first gig, uh, I know you've done a couple of gigs there, but. Uh, jump first, lover, yeah, um, yeah, Molly Meldrum spotted you somewhere, is that right? Did oh, he spots
2: everyone. Uh, Where did he spot you? Yeah, he, and. <laughs> Molly spotted us at the Jump Club. So, jump Club. Uh, strangely enough, um, I used to go with with Piero uh, when we were kids, like yeah. when we were 18 just. We used to go to the Croxton Park Hotel. Oh, yeah. And Preston.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Mixing it out there with the Tuffies in the north. Yeah. And um, we, Molly used to DJ there. He was the resident DJ on Thursdays. And so we sort of... Somebody introduced us once and He would have seen kind of your like, hot little ass, Brian. Yeah, yeah.
1: Little guys, cute little guy. Yeah.
2: You know, he he just knew, he was to say hi to I didn't really know him very well. But when he came to see my band, he nearly died because he, he heard about our band. Somebody tipped him off and said you've got to come check this band out. Yeah. So when he saw us he, he the penny dropped, he said, That's that little bit he's to my club, you know. So it was yeah. um it, it was pretty funny when he when he rolled up the first time with the expression on his face. But um yeah, he, he, he was a great guy, Molly. He, he really um yeah he really he was a real champion for Sudo's. He, he came along and i think he just thought you know these guys have got something and had a chat to our manager and and you know he, he just absolutely broke all the rules got us mm. on countdown we didn't have a record deal yeah. we didn't have That's any of stuff that we would normally need to have by policy of, of the abc but um yeah molly's got the crew to sort of moonlight for us make a clip and you know we got one of our demos to use as the soundtrack and you know, and he went on and, and did a big rave about us, and, and it really kick-started things along. It was, it was f- pretty fantastic that he did that,
0: really. So you got, got you got on Countdown, and you were unsigned.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah First unsigned man to a gear. So it was, um, yeah, it was pretty brave of him. He really went out on a limb. And, um, he, yeah. we, it was, we'd only been together 12 months at that stage, and uh, a few doors were starting to open. We were getting good supports, and... Um, People were talking about the band a lot, but we still didn't have anybody um, approaches from any record labels at that point. Mm. There was a bit of talk, but nothing had, had um, come to fruition. So when he put us on countdown, I think that was a bit of an alarm bell for you know most of the local labels, and they sort of, yeah. then they, there was a bit of a, a bidding thing. You know, they were all sort of having a go, but but you know as they are, they want to play it cool as well. So nobody wanted to be the first one in. So. They were sort of sniffing around, and the next thing you know, there's EMI at our gig, there's Mushroom at our gig, there's Sony or whatever, and they were all sort of sniffing around. So, um, definitely, by him putting us on countdown, he kind of blew the whistle and got them all to, to make a move.
1: So, who'd you sign with, Brian?
2: We signed with EMI in the end. And, oh, uh, yes. We we think we looked at uh, uh, what about we looked run? at the catalogue and it was Bowie and Duran Duran and Ultravox oh, wow. and we did yeah, yeah, we yeah, with them yeah, yeah. <laughs> big label big label yeah.
0: and what song did you play on uh, Countdown Brian?
2: I was listening was our first ah song the first that we, song and that, that became the first single too. So now um,
0: at, was, at that stage you you said you didn't have a drummer but then do you had you got a drummer in? Yeah, we got a
2: drummer after that first appearance on Countdown. Because the that, first
0: appearance was just the three of us: yeah. Anthony, Ugiro
2: that's right so anthony i would met a couple of years earlier when Mm. i was just in my late teens we were doing a battle of the bands out in the northern suburbs somewhere and anthony was in a band called the asthmatics yeah and they were were a good good local band and um who finished the set and we were sort of in this back lane way behind the venue Sort of loading all that gear into our cars, and he had this cool-looking Datsun 240Z, and, and I was eyeing it off because I was in the yeah. market to buy myself a sports car, and um, and I, I was I couldn't believe how cool his car was. Anyway, yeah. and I was more impressed with how he was putting the drum kit in, in the back, and um, so we got chatting, and we really did it off exchanged numbers, but it wasn't until a couple of years later when suits were happening that I um, that I thought, right, well, I need a drummer, and I, I know the exact guidance for the band. So I gave Anthony a call, It
0: wasn't really even an audition he just came over, we had sat, and that was
2: it, he was in the band. Very good drummer,
0: very good drummer. Fantastic drummer. I, I made a movie uh, called Ralph back in 96, and yeah. I got to know him through a friend of mine Vinny, and he ended up doing the soundtrack for it, for the movie. Right, right,
2: yeah, yeah. He's Do you great. remember that? He's, yeah, he's, and he's still one of my best friends. So,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, he did stuff. some great, yeah. great stuff on that uh, soundtrack, It never got released at yeah. rate, but anyway, but that's yeah. another story.
2: No, uh, he's very creative, Anthony. He's, he's out there. He's a real sweet individual.
1: So, have you been in the band for like forty years or something? Like, are you still together? What, what's going on? Well, these days
2: it's just myself and a touring act. So, yeah. uh, over the years, you know, members come and go, and it's it dissolved. The original lineup changed over the years. Yeah, it, there was there was a Mark One, Mark Two, Mark Three, and you know each one of them was a different lineup for different albums. I yeah. think pretty much every album was a different lineup, and. um and then we split at the end of the eighties, and um, I went into production,
3: yeah.
2: and just did that for a few years. And <clears throat> and then I think it wasn't until I reformed the band, which was the late nineties, ninety 97, somewhere around there. Yeah. And at that stage, I had to sort of pick up the pieces because half the members weren't playing, or they had their own outfits going on. And, yeah. And I, I got a hold of Pierre. Pierre was around, so he said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And I got Tony Featherstone. So Tony Featherstone, what a champ! Yeah. Florida. yeah so yeah. It, was, it was we put that band together to do that touring it was really just a few one-offs and when we did these one-off shows to been a 10-year hiatus yeah and <clears throat> we got such a great response from the crowd that um you know word, word was around and all the agents started uh, calling up again and yeah. saying you know are we, we going to tour we're going to put this back on the road and and it was hard to say no because we could mm-hmm. see that it was really popular again and, and I only would, wanted to do it if it was popular so yeah. if it was sort of an old thing and no one was into it anymore I was fine to move on but yeah, we had yeah. such a great response from audience we just went, we're, we'll we're do this again so we, uh, we proceeded from that, that night on and uh, started booking tours it. Mm-hmm.
1: You you own that mumbo jumbo music, don't you? And, and you make those radio and TV jingles and stuff, don't you? <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah, yeah that's going back. Yes, I do. What? So you um, did
1: stuff for like Seven Eleven, Nab, Just Jeans, Kraft, Coca Cola, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Give, us done I Give us a jingle. Give us one. do it now. You can't do one. You can't do one that haven't we heard on
2: the <laughs> The, the one that people would have heard the most, which yeah. I didn't actually write it, um, was written by Mike Brady, you know, the uptick, as Up by uh, brady yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the Bob Jane Teemater that still gets played oh, at this time Bob yeah. Jane, Jane so that one.
3: Oh
1: yeah, my God. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: kind of mine and, I did one for, um, a, a pretty big one for, uh, Tabaré, believe it or not. Those big ones, when I did the Tabaré, and I didn't even know what Tabaré was, they told me it was a gaming, yeah. a gaming thing. So I was thinking it was for young kids in arcade games. Yeah, okay. And so the track <laughs> went completely, you know, full tech, they were that. And then they said, Oh, no, that's just big for, for all these to do their gambling. <laughs> so hey, so you, it was pretty fun. They're 10 years of my life, and I just, it, was, it gave me a, a different point of view. So it was, it was good. Right. I, I utilised some, some good, uh, Still practicing this or that, and you know, having the skill of production and things like that.
1: Because you you were a qualified cabinet maker or something, weren't you?
2: That's I bet, right, bet you've
1: yeah. never ever lifted a tool. Is that true? No, no, no. I'm,
2: I'm pretty handy with the tools. Yeah, but I mean, um, you didn't have
1: to because you got music, you got the balls yeah, you got I, everything. I did. Um, I did go to trade school. I didn't finish
2: the apprenticeship though. i I, before, I knew by the it. Time, um, I I was working with my dad's company, and um, my dad had a big business, and he had a big factory on, on High Street there in Thomastown at the intersection ah. of uh, Settlement and, and uh, High Street. It was Christian furniture it was called and they used to make beautiful handcrafted furniture. I loved it, it was really good. Really like great. Franco
1: Cotzo. Like,
2: yeah, maybe not quite Euro, at like that? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's pretty pretty Euro. But, um, so it was a nice skill to have but I think by the time um, the band started cooking in, um, Dad was always very understanding because he was a miser too. So he okay. would he'd just say, "No worries, take the day off, you know, go for it, go for it." And so then when um, we signed to EMI, I, I, you know, I, I was I, all of a sudden we were doing national tours, so I had to quit the, the job. Oh. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd still go back to the factory, and uh, I, I had really um, sentimental ties with with it with the factory because. Um, our first rehearsal room was was in that same factory where I was a cabinet. Oh. We just had a big a big office upstairs, one of the, like um you know, where they have normally have all the admin and things like that yeah. and that was just vacant, so we decked it out as a recording studio.
1: Mm. And um
2: that's where pseudo started. Hey,
1: did you co write some music with Chocolate Starfish and Anthony Collier?
2: Okay, I'll tell you what happened there. Anthony Collier, I produced some stuff for Anthony. Yeah and Song uh, "Live for Love," the one he had a big hit with. Yeah. Um, I did the remix for that for him, mm. and I just did a few bits and pieces around that. Yeah. And then with Chocolate Starfish, I produced their first two albums, so wow. pretty much all the stuff they had their commercial success with at the start. Mm. Um, and I, I'd known those fewer boys were all the suburbs boys and went to the same school, and, and now mm. I grew up with them. Okay. So they were a bit younger than me, so they they kind of looked up to me as a, as, a, as a you know a, a nice. Uh, senior helper kind of, you know, yeah, so yeah. when they were starting their thing, uh, they came to me and said, could you get hand with his first song, and it was the cover of uh, Carly Simon's Your So Name. and uh, okay.
3: yeah, they
2: yeah. played it to me, and I said, all right, I've got some ideas of how, how I think that you go to try and give, give yourselves your own sound, yeah. and we had to go with that, and then they had a hit, so, uh, you know, so they got me to do the rest of the album, and that was fantastic, and then mm. with the second album.
1: Mm. How do you know if it's like a hit or not? Like, I mean, you're a, wow. I mean, you've yes. got you've got a heap yeah. of them. <laughs> I guess what's that? What's that thing that you're looking look, for? Tell look, them. there's something. Tell there's them. something in
2: the, the sound and the, and the, the whole package. Really, there's, there's so many elements to it. It's, yeah. It's so much more than just the song and the band. Yeah. Because there's a lot of politics involved in the way it's marketed and things like that. But I mean, ultimately, if you start with the right right thing, you, you've got to find a fighting chance. But it's it's just it's just how it is for the time. It's what's yeah. happening at the time and, and what's happening in the lyrics and how that relates to what's going on at the time, yeah. how the image of the band looks at the yeah. time and yeah. if they've got that X factor, if they've really got star quality and, um, you know, if they've got a skill in their writing. And, and, and it's, it's very subjective, you know. Yeah. A hit yeah. to one person could be a piece of crap to another person. So it's yeah. it's, mm. it's it's really subjective. But, you know, if you can get the, the sound that's, Really the band, they've got to really believe in it. I think it shouldn't be too contrived. I think it needs to be what they believe in. And and there's the record company behind them and they get behind the whole thing. You've got to find a chance. But, yeah, yeah, there's so much more to it than just the great hit. So often when people go, Oh, I've heard this song it's a real hit... Um, you know, you can excuse most producers who have been around for a few years. They'll probably be slightly cynical because they know there's so much more yeah. to it than just the song. But, yeah, you know, you, you tend to know when you've got the, the at least the starting point.
1: Hey, um, you know when you were saying before about a sports car,
2: I thought you yeah. I thought
1: you ride a motorcycle, like a Harley or something.
2: Yeah, yeah, I do. I love motorcycles. I've been biked uh, bikes since I was a kid.
1: But, but um, you were saying something about a sports car.
2: Yeah, I had a beautiful uh, Triumph T 7 and a little X19 Nine I had, had those in the 80s and they were yeah. kind of my, uh, my rock star cars because I figured I couldn't drive my Datsun <laughs> 180B to the gigs anymore because he was looking a bit granny-like. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I just uh, bought myself a nice sports car and thought, that, that's, that looks the part, that's what I need to do. So, least as a young kid, I, I still had a good head on my shoulders to, to know <laughs> you know, how, how to get it all together. And you know, there's more to it than just your, your, your singing and your songs.
1: So what now? You pull up to your gigs in a Harley.
2: Yeah, I've done that a few times. Oh. <laughs>
1: Pride of place it, in the in the
3: showroom or what?
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I've, I think I've rode it to a couple of the gigs. We did the big festivals outside. Beat the parking, you know, when there was the big log kids yeah, going boy. over. You know, getting into those big festivals. I think one day, one electric day was over in Williamstown and that was nuts. There was so much traffic. So. When we thought about it, I said, you know what, I, I, I'll, I'll take my bike and we'll just ride in those. I, was, I had, uh, had my wife on the back and <laughs> oh, them in there. Yeah. Is so that Raquel? Raquel? Yeah, Raquel, Yes, yeah, She manages Sudos and myself and she's the photographer and does all the social media. Yeah. Oh, she
0: does all the uh, videos I yeah. saw on, on your uh Yeah. Handy. That's very Very handy. impressive.
2: Very impressive. Yeah. yeah, she's great. Yeah, very Raquel, good she's, uh, videos She's got a real, real eye for it and uh, a good ear for it. And, she pretty much picked me up when I was uh, starting to crash a bit after one of the waves and
3: yeah.
2: basically resurrected the whole band. Got it, got it all back happening and, and uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, tenfold the, the popularity.
0: Okay. So Raquel now, she manages the shit now? Yeah, she yeah. manages. Him, yeah.
2: Very, yeah.
1: Good,
0: very good, very yeah. good. Now, Sidovaka had uh, eight top 40 hits. Mm. That's a lot of hits. It's not too bad. What's the question? It's not bad. That's What's the, the question? question. That's the question. Hey, I mean, you got listening, a beat for you, love and adventure. When Which you one's your
1: favourite, Brian? Out of all them?
2: I think my favourite is love and adventure. Um, it's one of those songs I've re-recorded so many times in so different, many ways. Yeah. Um, there's the classic version that was the hit in the eighties, and then there's the acoustic version of it. There's there's the chill out version on our after party album, and I do it mm-hmm. as part of my solo show. Uh, when I performed um, uh, earlier uh, this year. I, I just love it. It's one of these tracks that I can yeah, manage yeah, do in yeah. so many different ways and it just always cuts it. But um, it was significant to me too at the time. It was the first song that I wrote for the Love and Adventure album back okay. in 1985. Eight yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those songs where I, I, I bought some new gear and I just started really experimenting with, with the rhythms and, mm. and uh, you know different bass lines and things. And I just... It just all came together, and, and and even the lyrics it really summed up where I, where I was at in my life. If it was an adventure, even if it was in my mind. Or it was. Uh, it sounds a bit like I was tripping on something, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, as
0: you do when you're <laughs> writing songs. <laughs> yeah, who, who played the uh, trumpet solo on that song? Uh, I think that's either Bob
2: Vinnier. B- uh, uh, Bob Vinia, yeah, it is. Yes, exactly. Great trumpet yeah, player. And, and funny thing with Bob Vinia and 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 a few of the guys who played. There was, um, later on in my in my later years, way after Pseudo Echo, mm. I, I really got heavily into that kind of bachelor pad scene of music, um, that little kind of kitsch hipster music. Because yeah. my dad used to listen to it when I was a kid. And and so I really connected with it. And there's this um, Swedish guy called Sven Lybeck, and he was, he was A&R for CBS in Australia, he was based in Australia. And he was famous when they used to call him for calling um, for, you know, department store music and, uh, you know, elevator music and all, you know, oh, yeah. background music you'd hear in shops when you're a kid. Uh, it's, it's a bit kitchen, and a bit baggy, but, but something about it's lovable. So I, uh, one day, I stumbled on this album by Stan Liebeck and, and I just loved it. I, there was mm. something about it. I just had this real connection with it. I thought oh, I must have just heard it when I was a kid through my dad or something. And um, when I was reading the credits, um, I noticed that Bob Vinia was one of the trumpet players on it. And, and I just thought that was a beautiful connection that, yeah, of, of something from yeah. my childhood that I, did, I just accidentally stumbled on, that he was the guy in the session that was doing uh, yep. the trumpet on Love and Adventure. And also, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Valentine. Uh, oh, Bob Valentine. Either, not,
0: not Bob, the other no. one. Um, James. Oh. I
2: shouldn't forget his name. James yeah. Valentine. He was in the model and he, he was a TV host. Oh, James yeah, James is yeah. He's a fantastic Bob Valentine. Bob, yeah, Bob, 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 he was Bob, talking Bob,
0: about the comedian. Bob, That's
2: yeah. right. You yeah, know, this yeah, is James yeah, Valentine. Yeah. And yeah. James is a fantastic saxophonist. He's he's so underrated. Love his mean, honestly yeah. he's so good. And so anyway, when when we were doing the um Love and Adventure album, there were a couple of tracks that we wanted to put some sax on and things like that. So somebody mentioned James. Uh he was playing in the models at the time. They said, You yeah, know, he's great, so we got him in. And we'd already composed the solo and we played it on the synth. We had it on there. It was already recorded and everything. We were quite happy with the sound of it. On, yeah. on a kind of sounder like trumpet, saxy sound. And, um, and so James came in and we said, look, you know, just, just play that solo if you like. And, um, and he sort of played it note to note as we'd written it. And yeah. we said, yeah, that's great. Fantastic. We've got a tape. And he said, hey, look, do you want to just roll the tape again and I'll just do a couple of my own and, uh, you know, you can take it or leave it. And, you know, he, James is, his solos on the outside of Love it, and Then so You Can Hear It. On the, there's a real high soprano sax yeah. squealing around, and he played on a couple of other songs too, Lonely Without You and um, Try. And anyway, he came out with his solo, and it was about a million times better than our crappy shit solo that we did. So um, <laughs> we just we just went, Thanks, James. We're keeping that, you know. And then yeah. you know, I couldn't believe how good he was. So it was just. We'll fantastic. take your
1: good one and leave our shitty one out. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: our one took it took it south. Real quick, it was just,
1: it was no good. After hearing news it was just terrible. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was nice to be able to yeah. have other people contribute to your songs and bring something to it as well. Yeah. Hey, Brian, did you did you say that your music sound, sounded like a laxative? Why would you say that? A what? <laughs> <You're>, somebody <laughs> asked you once, the, "What what is your music? What does pseudo-echo music sound like or, to you? Yeah. And you said yeah. a laxative because... It goes right through you. Did you say
2: that? I didn't say that. No. no. Wow, well, it was a yeah, to you. No. Yeah,
1: it's not bad, is it? Don't believe what not you are reading. No, I didn't say that. Anyway, hey, do you do you live in a treehouse? house? Uh, what? It's not a treehouse. It's not a treehouse, but house. it's like
2: a treehouse or something. Yeah,
1: it's
2: it's a log cabin. It's big, not not little, but it's a, it's made out of logs and yeah. it's a uh, and it is elevated. So on one side, you're, you're pretty much at the top of the trees, but so, it's not in the tree. So
1: it's, it's like, like
2: Tarzan.
1: Like it. oh, I'm picturing a
2: Tarzan, you know, in the jungle, in, in the <laughs> yeah, all those trees. Right. And, you know, yeah. is it like that? And you swing around and... Almost. But the veranda is nearly at the level of treetops. Because we're in a forest here. We're about
0: a cave. Oh, into, yeah. oh I want to go top. to your house. Oh, that sounds yeah. mad. Yeah. yeah, it is beautiful. Yeah, We're really, really uh, lucky we're at this place. Now, Brian, let's talk about Funky Town. Um, you take Yeah, basically yeah. that... You used to do it as a, like a warm-up or as a... Like a warm-up song or something? Yeah,
2: well, as I said, when we used to go to that club and see Molly back in in, uh, 1980 or whatever it was, um, that song, the original of Funky Town, was one that Molly was playing, and it was very hot. It was the latest thing, and it was racing up Mm. the charts, and he kind of was one of the people, you know, was breaking it in the club. So I had this good sort of um, nostalgic connection with the original song, and then... Mm. Um, it was after we'd recorded uh, Love and Adventure, so we were two albums deep, and we were touring, and I had lunch with a friend one day, and he was DJ, and he said, oh, I remember this song, and he put on this vinyl, and it was Funky Town, the original. Yeah. And I just, I had such a great connection with it from, from Molly, and, and um, so the next sound check, um, you know, within a week after that, um, I started playing it, and so I sort of went over to the guys and said, "Yeah, remember this song?" and and we just did it very loosely. I didn't really listen to it closely. Mm. I just did it from memory, and um, it only had a few lyrics so It was easy enough to remember, because I, mean, I was always struggling with lyrics. But yeah. so we uh, we just started jamming it. It sound great. And then that night when we got the encore, I said, "Why don't we we, we do that song?" and um, it just it, it went over so well. It took mm. us so much by surprise because we said we did it sort of almost tongue in cheek, mm. and and we did like a rock version of a disco song. So it was yeah. it was unusual how we did it, and um, it, it went over so well that we just said okay, we're doing that every night mm. on the tour for the rest of the tour. We did it, mm. and then um, as as it, as it became part of our show on that tour, um, at that time we used to share uh, office space with our management company and um, Triple M at the time and that was that was always good because you, you know you got the low down on everything um you know when you bump into people and that and so i was uh, going to the office one day and i bumped into lee simon in the corridor and he said well, you, you Night mate, moves. Yes, mate?
3: Yeah. he just
2: said yeah that's right and so i was a big fan of lee's I, I love him you know and uh lee just uh gets me up bails me up and says i've heard that song funky down you've you got to release it you know you've got to do it as a, as a single and I didn't even know how he heard it. He said, I oh, know somebody got me a guest tape on it." So, so there must have been a bit of talk about it, and um, and so he just he, he convinced me so much. He was just saying, "I'm telling you, that's that'll be a hit if you release that." And I said, "All right, that's a, you, you know you've convinced me," and I went to our record company, and they weren't so mad about it because they they still saw that song as a disco song. Okay. The disco was completely dead in the water in the eighties, yeah. and um, so I, I thought about it, and um, I talked to management, and they were sort of bit on the fence until Lee said, "I oh, know it's a great idea. Then everyone was kind of getting a bit vibed on it. So I, I ended up convincing them to let me um, take it into the studio. And I said, look, I'll produce it. I know, I know what, exactly what I want to do with it. And um, so they, there was a little bit of resistance at the start. But by the time I think they heard the rough mixes and that, they were really on board. Mm. And, um, and, yeah, they, they went for it in the end. And, and so with our American label, they didn't want to have a power of it. They just said, no way. They said, that's the daggiest song we've heard. We're <laughs> not releasing that. And... And it, and it wasn't until they heard our actual version and then yeah. they could see it charting in Australia that they just jumped on it and said, yeah, you're right on. So at least, at least they came around eventually.
1: I always thought that you guys wrote that. Who, who was the original?
2: The original track was by a guy called Steve Greenberg, and it really wasn't a band. It was just one guy, yeah. and then he hired a bunch of session musicians, including the singer. She was just yeah. a session okay. Got her in, and, um, and uh, you know, they of flute it. I mean, it's it's mm. such a simple song. It's got
1: a great
2: hook. What was fantastic about it was it's a simple hit hook and yeah. just sort of repeated over and over, but yeah. it had fantastic production, the original version yeah. for its day, yeah. so that's yeah. what really gave it its teeth with that white noise, with that rhythm that plays through the song and, mm. and the bass, and, and I'm pretty sure it's uh, uh, Terry Lewis and... Um, and uh, what's the other guy? There was the Jimmy Jam. Those two guys played on it. Okay. So they they were uh, producers, session guys in the day. And um, well, I think when Steve was Steve Greenberg was recording it, those guys played it, the bass synth and the, and um, you know synths and things like. That. So it, it had some pretty good pedigree back yeah. in the day. So. You know, for me, I could, I could recognise that there were definitely good elements in the original version, but, um, and it was quite cheeky for us to cover it that quick, because back in those yeah. days, people didn't do covers until a decade went by at least. Okay. And um, we covered it within five years. Yeah. So it, it was kind of cheeky, and, and I think that, that made a statement in itself. Yeah.
0: And it reached number six in the USA? <laughs>
2: Yeah, yes oh, it was shit. number one on the extended version but the long play version went to number one. Is that and, um, the highest you've ever been in the USA? Pardon?
1: Is that the highest you've ever reached in the USA, number six?
2: Uh on the pop chart it was, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh on the club charts we hit number one on a
0: couple of songs and oh. um yeah, but but yeah, we we were we were pretty stoked for that. And you, you did you
2: tour, tour America in a time or Yeah, yeah, we did. We uh we sort of we had, I think, I can't remember if was our first or second tour because we'd, we'd gone over a couple of times and then, and then one tour we did US and Europe and Japan all in one hit. So yeah. when we were doing um, the tour, the second one, Town had just been released and it was tearing up the charts in yeah. Australia, kind of peaked. And then we, as the tour was happening in the US, it was starting to gain momentum there. We didn't really expect that. We, we weren't sure and... Um, it wasn't on the album. We, we had to actually redo the album and include it because we thought oh. we better uh, capitalise on this now. So yeah. we were doing a college circuit tour and um, that was fantastic because you had all these young kids who were just vibing to a party on yeah. and and we'd just rock into each college uh, campus uh, in this big tour bus. You know, we'd have the, the stage would be all set up on there. They had fantastic auditoriums, yeah. these colleges. Yeah. And um, yeah. they just like proper kicks, you know. So... Um, yeah, it was something I think where we played the summer of the college circuit and I think that we just hit a spot with all those young kids. They really embraced it. And ironically, which is a real twist of fate for the band, <clears throat> which just seems to be a reoccurring thing throughout my life as coincidences. but, what? you know, we, we had this song, we did the video clip and I'd just come back from a, a promo tour in America at the time when we did the video for it. Yeah. This was prior to the US tour. And, um, and I bought myself uh, the most Americana-looking t-shirt I could buy, and that was the New York Yankees. It was white, had yeah. red and blue and white all over it, and it just looked very, you know, USA. And that was becoming a big uh, fashion item in Australia. Americana was really starting to take off with those yeah, yeah. varsity jackets and things like that. So in the video clip, Funky Town, I'm wearing that New York Yankees t-shirt. Uh, and, yeah. and I thought it looked nice and boy next door because we were trying to shed the neo-romantic image by yeah. the stage. And... Um, And so I had that on there, and it features heavily in the video clip. There's always these full front slots of it. And anyway, when we were touring in the US, that video started getting lots of play on MTV. Yeah. And right when it did, um, the New York Yankees won won the World Series. Oh, well done. You got on the winning horse. (laughs) And so we were, you know, here I am on, 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 you know, plastered all over our video clip on MTV with the New York Yankees T-shirt. So we became somewhat of sort of local heroes to the Yankees fans. yeah. uh timing couldn't have been any better so it probably really helped with the momentum of the single and it just it just snowballed. it really did it just started to go and then all of a sudden it just went metal, and yeah it really took off in a big way
1: hey brian i know you grew up pretty rough in that and you're a bit of a hooligan and stuff and you're into motorcycles <laughs> and all that sort of shit hey but did you start a fire a house fire <laughs> and and you burnt
3: down
2: the bloody shed and your motorbike. What
1: happened
2: there? What's wrong with you? Um, uh, yeah, I was a pretty special kid. <laughs> well, what 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 happened? How old were you? <laughs> um the a well, big whisperer well, gave me that. Well, I thought well, it was, I was bullshit. I was a firebug you know. I was. I can't. I, I'll admit it now. I'm just, <laughs> I uh, was just a pyromaniac as a kid. I, used to, I I didn't go anywhere without a box of matches and uh, you know. <laughs> so, uh, were, yeah, you were you a smoker? Were you a smoker? No, no, I didn't smoke cigarettes. All my mates smoked
1: cigarettes. So what, I you just run around and, and, with matches and light up their smokes? Yep. Yeah, no. I just
2: always had matches. So, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I lived in the house backing on the Greswell Forest in Bundura, the back of La Trobe Uni, that yeah. forest there. Yeah. And um, I would bloody light fires there all the time. But fortunately, the fire brigade didn't have to get called a lot of times. we put them out. Light them and see how big we could make it before to put them out, and sometimes we couldn't. Sometimes we couldn't. You know, this is what happens with adolescent.
1: You know, when yeah, mate, I was a youth worker, and we used yeah, to have yeah. kids like
2: that. But they yeah, would, but they
1: would terrible. sit around and, and, um, yeah. Anyway, we better not go there. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. so that's right. So yeah, I, I was one of those kids. You know, and I, and I um, oh my god, I one day I was, uh, I'd
2: been riding my little Suzuki. I came home, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a stack on it that day, and I hurt my ankle, and so I was. I was inside. Uh, I, I, actually, I'd taken my bike and stuck it in the shed, which used to be, like, a, attached to the side of the house. Yeah. And um, and, and I always got sidetracked. I just, I'd just i always just, one thing would go to another, to another, to another. So, I'm wheeling my bike in, and as I'm in there, I remember I had all this uh, styrofoam. And matches. Um, and matches, I matches always. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and a sheet full of bloody oily rags. And stuff oh, like my that God. And, and so I just started mucking around with my matches, as I did, and I was setting fire to styrofoam and it's such a great thing to watch melt. yeah so yes, it's it quite artistic, uh, to speak you know so i'm i melting all this styrofoam and then i thought oh that's enough i better better get inside because you know lost in space is about to start and <laughs> oh, um, so, I, danger, <laughs> so danger. I, I i i shut the phone in the bin in the shed there's a little plastic bin and full of rags and paper and whatever else is in there that's flammable. But yeah. So I just threw the foam in there. But the thing with styrofoam, when, it, when you burn it, it's got a naked flame off it. You can't see the flame.
3: Oh. And so it,
2: it, it had gone out, and I didn't realise it was still really going, but I couldn't tell. So I threw it in the bin, went inside, started watching our uh, my, my favourite TV show. Yeah. And my mum's cooking dinner, and she's got a, a window in front of her where she's making dinner. Yeah. She's looking outside to the forest and the shed. Brian, and, Brian, and, hurry up! Fire, there's flames just gigantic <laughs> flames. my mum's seen, thinking it's a reflection of our open fireplace oh my she's, god she' she's a bit saved, mum with the best of times <laughs> oh, um, so, hey, hey. but she's beautiful she's just yeah. artistic you know that yeah, line that's yeah. a bit, uh, bit bit out there so she um she's sort of not really tweaked yet that <laughs> the house is half on fire and then I'm, I'm sort of watching TV and out the back of the side of my vision I can sort of see these big flames start coming around the side of the house Oh, that's a fire and I, I mean, and I just went holy crap that's what's going on that's where my mini bike is so i have just torn out to the backyard you know tried to grab the, the hose from the back fence and the flames were so big i couldn't even get near it there was just so much pressure and fire so i yeah. i just had to stand there and watch that shit burn down while the fire brigade came and uh, they got it out but my bike was just a pile of rubble but it just pretty much Melted onto the ground in the Yeah, but you're lucky. And, yeah. and that Jeez was the end of lucky. my uh, motorbike career for, for quite a few years, which, which ironically then steered me into music more. You know, I, I took up the guitar a bit more seriously because I didn't have a minibike to tear around on anymore. So it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it was, in fact,
0: yeah. You're a blessing in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> Brian, have you got any, Pseudo um, Echo, you got any um, music new coming gigs, out? New, or new stuff, new music? Yeah,
2: new yeah, we did. Well, during all this. Uh, it's oh, rubbish we uh did about oh, i think we released four albums so yeah. mm. um a couple of new ones and a couple of compilations so the latest one we just released is called ultimate and that is a, a massive double album thing that's got 18 tracks on it it's got all the hits all the album tracks and oh, yeah. it's got all the remixes, okay. and we did a video there's a video as well which used wow. to be uh, originally called Pseudo Flips in the '80s, and so we so we repackaged that, remastered all the videos, and put them all on one called Ultimate Videos. Oh. So is that the fourth? Album, the latest
1: thing is that the fourth album material where that you 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 lost the material for about 30 years yeah. or something, and then you found the it again. That's that, yeah, that's the, the our album,
2: last, yeah. That's our album. before Ultimate. Oh, okay. I Called, oh, okay, that's, yeah. called um, that's called 1990, the Lost Album Demos. yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was the story, as you probably know, about how we lost that album back oh. in 89, yeah. 90, and uh, found, I found the demos of it 30 years later. Where and, uh, were they? Where, where? And they were just in a pile of cassettes, not very well labelled, oh, and okay. I, I must have forgotten that I even did a backup in those yeah. days. I just I yeah. sort of ran one off so quickly to give out to people because they wanted to hear these tracks. And when when I thought I'd given away my only copy you know, and I yeah. went missing, so I, I just abandoned after about a year of not finding it. I just gave up and yeah. said, well... I've lost those songs, so I just sort of pushed it aside and got into producing and things like that. And 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 I just really, uh, it, it took me a while to get over it because it was like my heart and soul went into these songs yeah. and then I just lost them. So I had no more record of them or anything. Yeah. I didn't have anything. I just, I just could remember them in my head, but the recordings were, were so much work put into them, even though they were the demos, they would yeah. have gone on to be the final thing yeah. after we would have dollied them up a bit. So... When I found this tape, it was just on cassette. They were already mixed and mastered. I couldn't yeah. do anything. I couldn't redo them or anything. It was just as is. So
3: mm.
2: we were pretty excited when we found it, but we knew we'd have to at least kind of try to master it to get it to sound a bit punchier and things like yeah. that. But um, ironically, when we were playing it, when we were talking about the fate of this album, um, the tape went into auto rewind on the cassette deck, and then it chewed up the tape. What? Yeah, it chewed so- it up. We had yeah you know, thirty years in the loss and we'll uh. find it, and then it chewed it up. So. Here I am with, a, you know, two pencils trying to wipe it
1: yeah,
2: back yeah. into the pen <laughs> And it worked. Painstakingly, it worked, yeah. I yeah, got it back in and it likely, didn't break, yeah. so it was a miracle that we got it. Was it probably a tape, So that got tape. released
1: last year. See, everything just goes in the thing. Like you forgot about, you, you lit the house on fire, <laughs> then you forgot right. where you put the tapes. Mate, your forgetfulness is, 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 is <laughs> actually helping you out, That's isn't right. it? That's right.
0: You're a bloody legend, Brian. Now, Brian, my, my favourite uh, Sudolbeco album is Race race. Oh, yeah, great. Now, a yeah. different sound, a very heavy sound, and, and yeah. Over Tomorrow and Fooled Again, just great songs. I've mean, been listening yeah. to it all day. I know, I've been uh, yeah, just listening. Rocks. And is that you on guitar, playing the guitar there, Bron? Yeah,
2: that's right.
0: Great guitar that's, playing. It's, it's just so
2: that, Thank you. So very that took good. me back to my 70s kind of bogan uh, roots, you know, when I was a hoodlum and I was into all that music that we were talking about. Martin Fires and That's, that's right. That's, so it was more my Hyundai. So when we did the race album and, <clears throat> and the trend was heading in that direction after the sort of mid eighties, I could hear you know Bon Jovi and Van Halen and all these bands and you know, uh, Loverboy and they all having these hits with this rock sound again. Um, I really embraced it. I said, "This is great. This is a great timing for me because um, you know I grew up with that music, so it's a, it's a sync for me." So it was a, it was a really satisfying album to make right, in some respects, yeah. but it was also it was quite controversial within the band because. We were all heading off in different directions mm. around that time. And um, so it was a bit controversial. But, but, you know, nonetheless, as you said, I think it's, it, it is a great album that we made. It's just it was a quantum leap from where we were, that's all.
0: Mm. Now, we've got to wrap it up there, Brian. Now, you got a tour coming up this year.
2: Yeah, we have indeed.
0: Yeah, yeah you're playing uh, it uh, in Melbourne at the Palms. I had a look there. And, Ooh, at the Palms. And that's in October. And it's saying to me it's already sold out.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, there may be some tickets, because uh, uh, sometimes they uh, expand it a bit, they just receive it a bit and shuffle it around, so people can probably get in if they get a, get a move on, but, yeah, that's quite sold out, and the others are all selling fast too, so...
0: Or maybe we can come Top to Cran, we can park your motorbike and carry guitar in. Yeah, we'll right. take
1: photos on the motorbike. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: You know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um,
1: your, your dad's been an inspiration, and I've got down here, that, as a tribute to your late father, you've got a long beard or something now.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I did. No, I, I haven't got
1: the long beard anymore. <laughs> on.
2: Oh, so, so what? <laughs> you you oh, left it on for a couple of years and then what? i all the time. Yeah, yeah you,
1: you'll see the picture of me on my Facebook, what I look like these days. Yeah, actually, um, Ralph gave us a, gave me an email with thumb, all yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your, your sort of stuff. But most of the stuff we come up with, the Werribee Whisperer finds it for us. So no, we have no, stuff about the fire and, and all that yeah, other yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, he did, did. did a good job. Yeah, yeah no, he's pretty good. But um, yeah, uh, he was also telling me that you've been on about four hundred podcasts this year. Is that true? Nah, no. <laughs> so he's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong there. Yeah. He's got his right there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> maybe four. <laughs> oh, maybe four. So, what have you got your own podcast? No, no. We've been we've been talking about it for the last two years, but we just haven't had time to do it. There's always so much going on yeah, with you know, yeah. the tours and. Yeah. preparation
1: and production and things like that. So, yeah, it is, it's always on the back burner. Yeah. But, one but what would your focus be like? Would it be on the music? Would it be on your um, your, your? Well,
2: I've been working on a book for about the last 10 years. Oh, okay. And um I'm still really close. It's it's nearly finished. Um, it's just an Autobiography or...? yeah in a way it's yeah. my life and my wife's life together really because we we had very parallel lives she was a model and she did her life and I that's life raquel that your second wife pardon your second wife raquel yeah yeah yeah
1: raquel that's yeah. right yeah.
2: yeah so our lives were quite parallel uh but separate and then we came together um, on several occasions, we came together by fate, and we yeah. just had an interesting uh, intertwining of our lives. So, yeah. even though the book is predominantly about my life and it sort of intertwines with her as well, so we're we're just sort of pushing it along because um, we wanted to end it on a on a real happy note. And it was a, it, it was a real inspiration, but because of all this COVID stuff that came across, yeah, it, it was a bit of a damper. So we we're just sort of waiting for things to change a bit before we can sort of find yeah. the right ending for it.
1: Yeah. and she's and she's came into your life when you were sort of at your lowest and and given you a, a new sort of sense
2: yeah, of high. vigor or something. Yeah,
1: yeah? absolutely. Is that yeah. why you yeah. started all this
2: again? Mm-hmm. Oh that's exactly right yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I needed that uh inspiration and then someone to give me some love and give me a
1: hand you know? we all need love that's that's oh, what it yeah. is mate like, we, we do, all do, we're do, all we do. looking for that soulmate, someone that just <laughs> yes. loves us as much as we love um, them i'm lucky i got that, dom exactly yeah he's right. lucky he's got me <laughs> that's right because his <laughs> wife doesn't love it he's, a, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's like, a that's a what you're saying yeah, yeah, yeah. no,
0: right it's yeah, been a pleasure mate. yeah you're a bloody legend brian and you sound just
1: like the record
0: doesn't he? He <laughs> said, just like the record." <laughs> we're gonna come to that gig at the Palms. I yeah, I want to see it. your makeup and your
1: shoulder
0: pads. I don't know how we're yeah. gonna get in or something. Yeah. Uh, we'll, t- we'll, we'll sort you out. Is Tony Featherstone playing
2: keyboards?
1: Yes, is he? Um,
2: I don't, No, no, I don't think he's on that one. Well, we're not coming. He do
0: uh, no, not we'll coming, Tony. Yeah, yeah. Nah, he'll be. He'll be there though. He'll come. Yeah, we're coming. gonna come to that gig. would you please thank Brian Cannon?
1: Kenan. Kenan. Yeah. And then, mm, guys. Mm, Thanks, guys. Brian Callum, what a man, what a man! Hey, but he wears makeup and Ooh. shoulder pads. He started with the Ooh. shoulder pads oh.
0: and all the makeup and stuff like that. Oh, yes, yes. Sympathizer, sympathizer. And he used that beautiful, now he's got like a
1: mohawk. He's Ooh. got have you seen a photo of him with a mohawk? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got Actually, a, a we'll
0: motorbike go and a mohawk. Mate. Maybe maybe we should uh, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, get a well I can't grow around. it
1: there, so yeah, I yeah, might need yeah. to Well I had a mohawk, you know that green thing I oh, yeah, to stick on green. My you hand. can't get around green, it's gotta be here. Yeah, it was a, a good
0: one. Right. I did a gig in it, I think, I, I think his one goes to the right or left, I'm not sure No, no, he's got the
1: grass one in the middle, the mohawk. Yeah, it goes to the left. yeah, it goes to the right. Anyway, hey, he's the man and he's still doing gigs.
0: Well, yes. And he uh, goes in with
1: his gigs in a Harley in a big
0: oh, fucking yeah. motorbike. Oh, yes. Unbelievable. He's yes, yes. hey, got a gig coming up in October, yeah, yes. to try and get yes. some tickets for yes. that one there. But, you know... I think jo- oh, Anyways, it's Anyway, it's been a big day. Been
1: a big day. It's been a day. sold out. Yeah, I know. He's a yeah. legend. He's a freak. <laughs>
3: freak of
0: nature. Anyway, if you like the show, uh, please subscribe to uh, you know we're just uh, yes yes yeah, go yes, to yes. Our, uh, wherever you hear please. the uh, podcasts on yes. uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, Pod And Tony
3: Featherstone
1: Google. played with him too, and I think he's still going to yes, play yes, with him. Well, on, Tony I Featherstone.
0: You're what you're on, I know. I'm letting you go on. Talk. Hurry up! I want to get on. Or if you want to email us too on the Shumpcast the ShumpsandGmail dot com. Yes. Give if us an email. Have you got any questions or that? Or Anything a you need lists. us to ask anybody, you know,
1: just send yep. us
0: an email. Yep, so um, that's it for us on this show. What a great uh, guest there, Brian Cannon. We've got to get again. But <laughs> Hey, you know, they didn't write that, Funky Town. You know they
1: didn't write it. <laughs> what? They didn't write the song. It wasn't their original song. Oh, Funky song. Town. Yeah, yeah funky still, thing. they did it. It was a great version. Yeah, they great did a good
0: food. version. Great anyway. Okay, I'm Tony Shubraff, now i And I'm Dominican Tony Shubraff. <laughs> Shut
1: up. No. Can't. No, I can't do, do it. I oh, know they don't
0: like me doing this. I'm off okay. And we'll see you next time on Shunker!